Hey friend, this is Ryan Thomas. We're so blessed and grateful you're listening to On the Road and supporting Faith Radio. You are quite simply the best and we appreciate you so much. Enjoy the show. Discovering stories of courage, determination, and hope. Welcome to Faith Radio's On the Road. Now, here's Ryan Thomas. Well, there's a wealth of resources that set out to tell us how to raise a child. But as most new parents report, when there's suddenly one more human being they're responsible for, there is no word-for-word script for being a dad or a mom. Dr. Brian Loritz is the son of Dr. Crawford Loritz, the much-beloved pastor and author. And Brian looks back on four gifts his dad gave him that he invites dads to pass along to their children. His new book is The Dad Difference, the four most important gifts you can give your kids. And Brian joins us today on the road. The welcome to the show, good man. Is the day proving pleasant to this point? It really is, yeah. Having a, having a good day. I've had a bunch of meetings, but a really good, profitable one. So yeah, it's, it's been a good day. Uh, so glad to hear it. Well, let's kick this off with a question that's perhaps at the heart of everything that follows uh, Dr. Loritz. We've heard it from sociologists, uh, we've heard it from politicians, we've heard it in church, but why is the presence of a father so important in a home and in the life of a child? Yeah, I mean, um, the data, you, you allude to sociologists, um, it's clear, and it's not just um, Christian ones, it's consistent uh, across faith traditions. Uh, as goes the home, so goes society. Um, it's just the way God has set things up. Uh, in fact, when you look at the Bible, there's three institutions God has created for human flourishing, the first of which is is the family, then it's the government, then it's the church. And so these institutions are profoundly and inseparably linked to society. In fact, uh, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 6, you may know it as the great Shema passage where It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm. And then he just walks through uh, as the nation of Israel is preparing to settle into the promised land. He just walks through, hey, here's how you're going to be faithful in the midst of other nations who do not believe in your God, who are are, um, worshiping other gods. You're going to have to, uh, dads, teach your children about the faithfulness of God. In fact, this is reiterated in Psalm 78, when he just talks about how he has commissioned dads to pass on the faithfulness of God to their children. So the family is the institution that God has ordained for the health of society. And as the head of that family, uh, it's dad who is the tenured professor of the home. Your dad of course, is the nationally beloved pastor and author, Dr. Crawford Loritz. Give us a sketch before we dig in further of just what kind of a father he's been and how he has shaped the person that you are today. Yeah, in fact, um, you know, this book, The Dad Difference, I'm, I'm always quick to say um, it, it is not me kind of pointing to myself as the paragon or the paradigm Um of what it looks like to be a great dad. I mean, I've got, I've got three teenage boys, um, 19, 17, uh, and 15. 
And so the jury is still very much out on me as a father. Uh, but, but I wanted this book um, to not just be a didactic one, um, as much as me just wanting to uh, embed it in a narrative of how my dad fathered me. And so as the reader makes their way through the book, I hope they'll be inspired, but it's in story form, just true stories of, of how my dad parented me and my siblings, um, which will give you a real flavor for who he, who he was and who he is as a person. The book built around uh, four gifts that a father can give. And just before we drill down on what those four are, obviously so many dads would be delighted to see their kids follow in their footsteps. How much has it meant to him that you've become such a, an impactful voice in the pulpit and with the pen? You know, that's interesting. We've never had that conversation before. You know, dad, um, dad was very clear. Um, you know, he did not push, um, vocational ministry on me and my mm. siblings at all. Uh, what he wanted us to do is to lock in on what was God's unique missional calling for us um, by way of a job or, or, or career. And he just, he would encourage that. In fact, dad would, dad would say he always saw me going into business. So, um, you know, is he proud? Yeah, he is. He, he's expressed that, but we've never had a conversation about his feelings about me being in ministry. We're talking today with Dr. Brian Loritz, an executive pastor at the Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the award-winning author of seven books, including the freshly released The Dad Difference, the four most important gifts you can give to your kids. Uh, by the way, sir, uh, from the biographical picture from the YouTube videos, you don't really look elderly enough to have already made it to seven books, if I may just say so. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Anytime. So you build this message around those four gifts that a father can give to his children. What are those four, and how did you distill so much meaning into those four? Yeah, so uh, we use the acronym RITE, R-I-T-E, uh, when we talk about um, these four gifts and its relationship, integrity, teaching, and experience. Uh, in fact, um, you know, the whole book begins with, with an analogy uh, of me flying. And, uh, you know, I fly a lot from coast to coast. And one of the things you pick up on pretty quickly when you fly from coast to coast is when you fly from the West Coast to the East Coast, um, your journey uh, typically goes a lot quicker because you're, you have a tailwind. Uh, and when you fly from East coast to West coast to the same destination, your journey typically takes a little bit longer because you're fighting a headwind. And, um, you know, when, when I talk about dads, one of the things I mention in the book is that dads are either going to be a headwind or a tailwind in the life of their, of their kids. Um, there's a lot of people in our society who, either by their dad's uh, physical absence or emotional absence or, or his passivity or, dare I even say, his abuse, it's been a, it's been a headwind in their life. In, in other words, they can still get to their destination, but it just feels like it's taken them a lot longer. And there's things they should have picked up on earlier, but dad put it on his responsibilities. I, I want to encourage those who are listening in just by saying some of the best dads I know are those who, who had headwind dads. Um, they know the pain of, of a dad who just didn't step up and a dad who 
who punted on his responsibilities. And because they know that pain, something in them at some point says, you know what, my children are never going to know the pain that I felt. And, and they made up their mind to be a tailwind in the life of their children. Tailwind dads are, are, are dads who, who push and encourage and inspire their kids toward, towards their God-ordained destinies in their lives. It's sort of like Psalm 129 when, when it just talks about uh, that children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And, right. and a warrior picks that arrow up, aims it at a desired target, and releases them. That's what a good dad does. Okay. Uh, he's got a vision for his, his kids. And, and specifically, uh, the vision is centered around these four gifts. Um, everything ri- rises and falls with relationships. Y- you know, um, um, when I sit with people as a pastor and I hear them just talk about their fatherhood wounds, those wounds, uh, I've never heard a person just complain about their dad didn't make enough money or their dad w- didn't do a good job on the job, on, on, on their jobs. As much as I hear them reflecting on, man, dad just wasn't there. There was no sense of relationships. And the point is, we cannot lead effectively what we're not tied to relationally. And everything rises and falls with relationship. And then, of course, is integrity. Um, integrity is not moral perfection at all. Um, uh, and and you, can be, you can be filled with uh, mistakes and flaws and still be full of integrity. And, and what I mean by that is, I talk about it in the book, my dad... Um, I mean, there were plenty of times in which, you know, he spoke to us in a way that wasn't respectful or he accused us of doing something that later he found out we didn't do. But each time dad would stop and would apologize to us. Mm. So even in his imperfections and his flaws, he was still full of integrity because what informed his apologies was his convictions that were rooted in the word of God. And then there's teaching, and that's where I talk some more again about dad being the tenured professor of the home, both <laughs> both orally around the, the dinner table, leading us in, um, in, in devotions, but also just by his example, how he treats my mom, um, you know, him living out what, what he believes the Word of God to be teaching. And finally, his, his experiences. Our kids need real experiences that will entrench the desired values we want to see fleshed out in their lives. Um, those are four gifts. Last thing I'll say about them, though, is th- these four gifts aren't formulas. Uh, in other words, you can't manufacture a godly child. <laughs> y- you, just, you just can't. Um, but I, I kind of compare it to just like you can eat right and work out and still die young. Um, so you can do these things. And, and your child may not turn out the way that you want them to. They, they have free will. They have a sin nature. But just like eating right and working out increases the possibilities of long life. So I think if we give our kids these four gifts, it increases the possibilities that, that our kids are going to flourish and succeed in life. You know, I was captivated by that notion of having the strength to be able to apologize as your dad did to you. And it is, it is countercultural, I think, in a way in that our, our notion of strength has increasingly segued with the notion that you never admit that you are wrong. And sometimes maybe yep. as a parent, you would even be tempted to think that you, you lose some moral authority if you say that you were wrong. But that's, that's really not the case at all. No, n- not at all. In, in fact, um, 
I remember looking back to the rearview mirror. I remember my dad's apologies way more than what he apologized for. <laughs> that had more of a profound impact on my life than almost anything else. And, and, uh, and his apologies were, were authentic and sincere. It's, it's almost like, I feel like with our whole culture, we need to take everybody through a, um, a class on how to apologize. Right. Apologies are not, I'm sorry you took it that way, or I'm sorry you heard it that way. No, apologies take ownership. I'm sorry I, and they're specific. I'm sorry I spoke to you that way. And then they end with what I call the big ask. Will you forgive me? And um, what you also pick up on uh, pretty early is, you know, in order to have a great relationship, between two very flawed people, grace needs to be a two-way street. So not only, um, not only do I need to extend, not only does my dad need to extend grace to me, I also need to extend grace to my father. Um, and there's some people listening in and they're just going, man, me and my dad don't have a great relationship or me and my, my, my child do not have a great relationship. And for some people listening in, um, maybe, maybe one or both parties aren't ready for that. You know, uh, there's a loophole to reconciliation. It's found in Romans 12 when Paul says, as best as you can be at peace with all people. And, and I think the reason why he gives a loophole is Paul understands in order to have a great relationship, it takes two. Right. And maybe, maybe that child isn't ready. Maybe the dad isn't ready, but you just do your best. But while reconciliation has a loophole, forgiveness does not. You know, that's Matthew 18. God wants us to forgive, uh, to forgive our dads, to forgive our, our, our kids. And I know, I know the hurt runs deep, but in order to have a healthy relationship, it's got to begin with forgiveness. Well, some powerful stuff today on Faith Radio's On the Road. Dr. Brian Loritz is with us, executive pastor at the Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and the award-winning author of seven books, including the freshly released the dad difference, the four most important gifts you can give to your kids. Uh, you, <laughs> with humility, described your your parenting uh, skills as the jury still being out on them. And I, I couldn't resist this one. What parts of being a dad have been harder than you thought that they would be? And maybe what parts have been a little bit easier than expected? Yeah, you know, um, it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I've got an Asian friend of mine. And we were having a conversation one day, and I, I forget how we got in on this, um, but he made the observation. He said, he said, I know I'm painting with a broad brush, but for many Asians, if there's one word that sums up their aspirations for their kids, it, it would be, I just want them to be successful. And then he said, it strikes me that for most Americans, he says, in my opinion, if there's one uh, uh, aspiration the average American wants for their kids, it's I want them to be happy. And many of us parent with the happiness ethic. And, um, you know, I, I would say I feel that very much. I, I want to coddle my kids. Uh, I want to protect them from things. I just want them to be, to be happy. And so to answer your question, the happiness ethic doesn't, doesn't, um, doesn't result in strong, resilient kids. I mean, that's a point Angela Duckworth points out in her wonderful book, Grit. Um, and so when we hover 
um, our kids, our kids aren't, they don't become those arrows. They become those boomerangs where we release them and they only come back because they realize very quickly when you get out into the real, real world, they're not, they're not the center of the universe. <laughs> and so let me come back to the one place where I was. And so to answer your question, I, I think one of my biggest struggles, and um, I'm just having to come to terms with this, is as my kids are getting older, it's to allow them to experience the outcomes of their, of their decisions, right? So again, I've got a 19-year-old freshman in college. Uh, my 17-year-old's going to his senior year. My 15-year-old's going to, to their sophomore year. I'm, I'm transitioning from kind of this father posture, which I'm always going to be dead, to now becoming more of a, of a coach, more of a friend. And so now I'll, I'll advise them. Now, there, are there some times, especially my two youngest ones, where I'll put, down, put, put my foot down and say, yeah, you're not going to do that? Absolutely. But, th- but those are becoming rare. And so it's, it's to say, you know what? I don't think you should do this. And then to step back and watch them at times make decisions that run contrary to that. And instead of rescuing or preventing to say, you know what, I'm going to actually let you live with the outcomes of your decisions. That's hard for me as a parent. You know, you take a look at some of the most common missteps that fathers make in this, in this segues with the discussion pretty well. Could you give us maybe a few of those and perhaps some advice on not making them in the first place? Yeah. You know, um, (laughs) My wife and I were talking the other day. Um, I said, you know what? I have a sneaky suspicion that the day my youngest leaves the house is the day I'll just start to figure this thing out. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's a journey. It really, really is. And, um, you know, I'm the oldest um, in, in, in uh, you know, of, of my parents' uh, kids. And, um, and, and my dad would often say, hey, man, I, I've never been down this road with you before. I'm kind of in the dark. I'm practicing. And, and that's how I feel. And so w- when you're there, I, I think looking through the rearview mirror, I, I would have been a lot more patient on things. The things I flipped out about with my oldest, I don't, I don't flip out about with my youngest. That doesn't mean I've lost my convictions. It's, um, it's just, I've grown and, and I, I now have a sense of maturity and I see things not as the end of the world, but just coming alongside and creating an environment where I say, it's, it's okay for you to make mistakes here and let me walk you through this. Uh, so if I could, if I could talk to my young parenting self, I would say, relax, chill out. The other thing I would say is, the glue to these four gifts, all great parents that I know, they're intentional. Um, and as dads, you know, the horrible thing Adam gave to us was passivity. If you go to Genesis chapter three, there's Eve, a snake's talking to Eve. She eats the fruit. And then this telling line, and she turned to her husband who was with her. And here's Adam watching a snake talk to his wife. He's being passive. And that's something all men struggle with, and especially in the area of parenting. It's this whole idea of passivity. And so I would just say, let's go to war with passivity. Let's be intentional. Let's embrace responsibility. And let's just, let's just step on, uh, step up. That's a, that's a constant struggle uh, that I have that I'm seeing some growth in. 
Oh, that's a great response. Dr. Brian Loritz with us today, executive pastor at the Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, the award-winning author of seven books, including the freshly released The Dad Difference, The Four Most Important Gifts You Can Give to Your Kids. I'm going to try to pronounce a word in Greek now, and please tell me how I'm mispronouncing it. I'm trying to say the word kainos, sir. Yes, that's it. That's it. Are you kidding? You're one of the few who nailed it the first time. Oh, <laughs> I almost feel like we should end the interview right now because I can't possibly live up to that after that. But I can't help touching on this before we say goodbye because you founded the movement called Kainos that pursues biblical diversity in the church. So your heart for this is just huge. And I just wonder, as you look back on this summer and everything that has happened across America following the killing of George Floyd, you wrote a very poignant piece in Christianity Today several years ago where you described yourself when it comes to waiting for white evangelical leadership to really invite into itself African-American community. You've said that you were just simply tired. I wonder, as you look at the situation, as you look at the relationship uh, between the communities as it stands today, do you feel that same way, or would you use any other words to describe where you're at today, sir? I'm tired. Uh, some have even said exhausted, but I, I want to caveat that. Um, I'm tired, but still hopeful. Um, you know, one of the encouraging things to me is that in the aftermath of George Floyd's death, uh, I've told several people, I haven't felt this much white empathy or white advocacy in my life. Um, this really does feel like a tipping point. And that is deeply encouraging uh, to me. It, it feels like there's some real positive long-term change on the horizon. And I, and I hope we, we, we get there. You know, sociologists have, they have this phrase called a condensed symbol. You know, it's, it's kind of those symbols, those pictures that really are defining moments. It's Dr. King being assassinated uh, at the Lorraine Motel and those, you know, his three colleagues pointing off in a direction, like that's a condensed symbol. Or the 68 Mexico City Olympics, you know, when those two individuals, uh, black individuals are raising their fists in the air, that's a condensed symbol. But I also feel George Floyd on the ground, handcuffed, with that white officer's knee on his neck, that's a condensed symbol. And that image will never leave our minds. And I think we're harnessing and leveraging the power of that image and that moment for great good. I just want to see the church lead the way. Uh, that's, that's been my prayer. We, we led the way in the civil rights movement. And at some point, um, we lost our voice. And we've got to get back to leading out in the streets, this movement for long-term legislative change. Well, there it is. Uh, thank you so much for the thoughtful words and taking the time to pivot to that in our final minutes. Dr. Brian Loritz, uh, once again, the book called The Dad Difference, The Four Most Important Gifts You Can Give to Your Kids. And sir, I know available wherever fine books are sold, but if people do want to learn more about you and pick up a copy of the book, where's a great place to start that journey? Well, as far as learning more about me, then go to my website, brianloritz.com. Uh, and then as far as picking up books, uh, they can go to Barnes & Noble or um, Amazon.com. 
um, and, uh, and, and get my literature there. You know, maybe just a final question in the last two minutes or so. If you feel like you've already failed as a dad, you know, in a big way, what would you say to somebody who feels like, where can I restart this? You know, how can I, how can I be the father that I want to be from this day forward after you've already had a significant failure? Yeah, I, you know, I think that's a great question. I, I feel like when it comes to failure, one of the things the enemy does is he always pairs failure with a profound sense of loneliness, as if no one else feels like they failed as well. So I would just say, listen, uh, join the crowd. Um, I don't know of a single dad who doesn't have regrets, who doesn't look at things in the rearview mirror and feel like they failed. So I would say join the crowd, including the author of a book on fathering. <laughs> so um, I would say that too. Uh, I would say this is a wonderful moment for you to do what my dad just modeled so well for me that we talked about earlier, and that is to apologize. Um, you know, take the moment to uh, see that child or you know, maybe that child's an adult now. Maybe you want to hop on a plane, send the email, the text message, make the phone call, whatever it may be, and own up to it in great humility. In many cases, um, that, that is a redemptive um, tipping point that God uses to repair a relationship. So in humility, if you approach it that way, own specifically um, what, what you feel like you failed in and, and ask for forgiveness. I think in a lot of cases you'll see you'll see God redeem that. Well, such hope, such wisdom and encouragement today from Dr. Brian Loritz. Thank you so much for your time, sir. It was a real pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for sharing in the story of this latest episode of Faith Radio's On the Road. For more on today's conversation and the full podcast archive of all our episodes, look for On the Road when you visit MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks so much for listening to On the Road. Programming like this happens because of your incredible support. You can learn more about partnering financially at MyFaithRadio.com. And we'd be so glad to connect with you during the week on social media. Just search for On the Road with Ryan Thomas on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at OnTheRoadRyan. Until next time, God bless you, my friend.